You are now listening to the Bulls and Bullets podcast. So, like that sign would be in front of all the entryways, so that if there was wool fields on it, a lot of them had gas wells, and so we'd keep the gates locked. And if there was ever somebody who needed access out there, they could call, and we could come unlock the gates for them. Well, that's smart that we don't have, like, gate codes flying around everywhere. You just call someone if you need, and they come do it for you. Right. We had – we didn't even have combos. It was all keys. So – Oh, used, damn. It was all the same master lock. So, like, everybody – you just had one key, and you could unlock all the gates if you just bought that one. Dude, that's freaking nice. Lock. Yeah. So, it was pretty handy. There was locks on everything. They bought the locks in bulk, like they were just in the kind of a closet. You'd go get a few handfuls and lock up a barn, the gates, your house, or whatever you wanted to do. <laughs> your guns, everything. Yep. So have a few of them stashed somewhere. Like those signs, uh, a lot of stuff that was left in my feed truck when I was leaving, I just kind of grabbed. <laughs> They're like, where the hell are all these damn signs? <laughs> <laughs> these were old ones, I think. <laughs> They're all scratched up, so it wasn't like they were brand new ones. You replace them with, like, your own signs with your own little phone number where someone, like, shows up to call one day and it just calls, like, Pizza Hut or someone. They're like, yeah, I need to get in the skate. And they're like, man, we're making pizzas here. I don't know what we're talking about. Oh, uh, this is a Wendy's? Uh... <laughs> Hello, this is Patrick. Is this Krusty Krab? <laughs> but, uh... Well, how you been, dude? I hadn't seen you in quite a while, man. We haven't talked. Tell me about the hunt real quick. Well, it's still fresh in your mind. That was great. Uh, so just to fill, kind of fill you in, I don't even think I've told you much about it. We, uh, me and my dad actually drew in to a mule deer hunt uh, about a year ago, and I've been putting into this area, or the state of New Mexico in general. I've been putting it out there into their system, their draw system, for a couple of years now, and never drew anything. And uh, it was my third choice on the application, and. It was a rifle hunt, and we drew out, got real lucky. We were super excited. Man, it was an awesome hunt. We had a freaking blast. Uh, we're not successful. Weren't able to get it done. Uh, saw some deer. It was just a rough, rough area out there. If, if we were in the Sango de Cristo mountain range, just north of Pecos, some people are like, where the hell's that? Um, it's middle of nowhere. And it was some rough ass country. It was one of the hardest hunts I've ever been on, dude. Like, I'm not even, I don't even like saying that because I'm like, you know, I'm fit. I like going out there and doing that. But that was without a doubt one of the roughest areas I've ever been off. Um, just straight up and down. And we weren't even that high. I mean, the whole time we were hovering in that 8,000 to 9,000 foot range. Every once in a while we'd get above 9,000 feet. But golly, I mean, you step off the beaten trail and it's just straight up and straight down everywhere you go out there i mean there was no big parks or fields to like glass or really look for them so it made the hunt real hard for us in that situation like there were just trees it was just a real thick wooded area um the the one of the bigger bucks we saw was one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me literally i mean we're up buck crack of dawn one day and we we summit this peak we come over the top of this mountain and we were rock climbing the whole way we thought we were gonna like get up on top and glass like down below us a little ways, but it was just more forest on the other side. So we we go down the backside and see a couple of those on the way. And these deer are ghosts. I mean, we'd see one, we'd go behind a tree to get a better look at her, and she'd be gone. It was there was nothing we could have done. And we're rifle hunting the whole time. You think you know you'd be able to blast something, but now we can't see it, and that was the hardest part for us. We just could not get advantage on anything. Uh, so we. Four hours go by. We make our way back up the canyon. We get all the way back to the four-wheeler. We're not in a, we were not in a wilderness area, so we had four-wheelers and trucks. But once you step off the trail, like I said, you're on your own. So we get all the way back to this freaking four-wheeler. Way at the back. And we're smoked at this point. I'm looking at the four-wheeler. I'm 10 feet from the four-wheeler. I'm walking up to it on this little trail. And we're done hunting this time. It's midday. Windy. We get all the way back to the four-wheeler. And I take my bag off. And as I'm going to set the bag on the seat, I look up and, like, not. 20 yards from us hell maybe 15 yards there's just this bruiser buck just standing there in this little thicket looking at me no. i'm like dude i didn't even have my gun my no gun was way. in my backpack at that point he's just looking at me and i see him and i see him for probably three seconds and we just make eye contact my dad's probably 30 yards behind me walking still 
and he just blows, turns around, gone forever. I was like, you have got to be shitting me, bro. And I turn around with my dad. I'm like, no, there's a buck. There's a buck right here. And he gets his gun up like he's about to blast. I'm like, not me. Don't shoot me. <laughs> he runs right, up to me. me. He's like, where? Where's the buck? I was like, I don't know. He just took off. He was standing by the wheeler, and he got pissed. And we just kind of like take off in the woods after him. We get 10 feet in these woods, and it's just black. We're like, there is no way we're trailing this guy. I don't know if he was following no. us the whole way or just mocking us, but that's pretty much how the hunt went. Shit like that. Dude, it was so funny. I was, yeah. for a while there, I was like, you got to be kidding me. We just did all that, and he's just standing by the wheeler. But he was big, too. I mean, he was a big dude. They're so smart out there. Those deer are... I mean, they run from lions every day. Like, they're not going to let me just get up next to them, even with a rifle. They know what they're doing. But uh, it was a great time. Oh, we yeah. threw a great camp. Me and Dad had a good time. We hadn't really been able to, like, hunt together in quite a while, so it was fun just going out there and just doing that whole thing. The weather got a little hairy on us the last day. Um, I didn't sleep a damn that night. It was so windy, and it was sleeting on us the whole time. Uh, we had a big wall tent with stove in it. But, man, we were like, we're the only people up here on this entire canyon area. If it gets wet. This ground's slicker than cat shit. I'm like, we have got to get out of here. We're going to get stuck. So we kind of pitched up. Oh, we picked man. up tent real early that morning, and we packed up about a couple hours early, early on the last day. We were there for seven days. Um, we picked it up. We're like, well, shit, it's been a good hunt. Let's get the hell out of here and, and get out. Man, it was a good time. Wish we could have got something, but just going out and being out there was just as fun. So I'm happy with the way it went. And just for us to do it DIY without using outfits or anything, I mean, I totally get it. Like, outfits are awesome for that situation. You know, those guys are going to, oh, yeah. they know where the deer are. That's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, why would I pay all that money to have someone just walk me around in the woods? It's like, man, you're not really paying for that. Like, those people know where the animals right. are. That's what you're paying for. It's like, you go out there and we had a good time, but we didn't know where the deer were. That was the one thing where it's like, uh, someone that was, that's been out there that knew where those deer were would have been helpful but mm-hmm. diy every once in a while is a good time just go out and just have fun by yourself see what you can do we ran into some cool people out there too there were some other guys out there doing diy hunts but uh, i don't know if anyone was successful that's a hard unit that's a very hard unit i'd love to do it again though hell maybe bring you with us yeah i so say i need to uh I need, I need to start getting in on something so i can uh, go on a big game hunt get me an elk absolutely man something like that you need to get with Mason, my brother. Man, he he can walk you through all that good stuff. He can show you how to do all that. Yeah, I say I think I'm kind of ready for it. Say, oh, uh, Ethan White and Jacob Rippy, they were just up here like a week ago, pheasant hunting, but they didn't have any luck. Really, either. I'm surprised. Figured they'd at least got a few. Yeah, they uh, got a bird apiece in two weeks. <laughs> I'm driving two around weeks. Yeah. No, I wish they'd have done better. I know that's what they were a few hours south of here, hunting a, somebody they knew had a big ranch and they were pheasant hunting on it, couldn't get it, and then they came on up here and they found them some public land to hunt. And the pheasant just haven't moved in yet. Man, I tell you, one of the a couple of years back, actually it's been about two years now. Western Kansas, we had some buddies out there. We went and saw and stayed with, and they got us a lot of pheasant out there, man, near Scott City area. That was a good hunt, and they acted like, when that whole hunt was over, they're like, man, we're sorry we couldn't get you guys on anymore. This was just, you know, not like it should have been. And we're like, we limited out every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> they were like, man, it, it should have right. been way more than that. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? It's, we had more than we could handle out here. This is awesome. We need to go back down there somewhere and try yeah. something again get the game going do something like that i've been really wanting to do that because those guys out there are awesome well like up here uh like back in january the pheasant were so damn thick you couldn't hardly do anything my backyard kid you not at least 60 pheasants just <laughs> picking around my backyard like chickens like they were just oh all, my god all a big group i don't have that big of a backyard and they were just plucking around i mean they nest there's a big group of cedar trees right here behind the barns, and they like to roost up in there. And I oh, mean, there I bet they hundreds do. of them just right here. <laughs> and but they're all they're all up in the barns and the pens and everything, so you can't. They get in the sheds. You'll go to uh, clean the sheds out, and uh, they'll all start flying out. And you can about hit them with a shovel as they're coming out. No way. Well, a lot of people don't know it. I mean, yeah, pheasants are an Asian crazy. chicken. That's where they can. They're not native to America. 
there's a couple of different types of pheasant, um, but they're literally chicken. So yeah, they're gonna try and roost wherever they can. I mean, you can literally herd those suckers up, put them in a little coop, and they'll probably stay there, feed them. Yeah, well, that's what uh, uh, we bought a uh, we carved pumpkins for Halloween. So I just threw all the seeds and stuff out in the yard, and I thought I'll just leave those for when these pheasants start coming in. <laughs> I said they'll be starting to move in over the next few weeks, and I was like they'll start scratching around out here getting these seeds. And oh heck yeah! I might just pick one off with a freaking pellet gun. <laughs> <laughs> you used to send me uh, little videos every once in a while. You just walk outside and you'd, there'd be a pheasant like right in front of you. I was like, what the heck, dude? <laughs> like they just live there in their yard? Yeah. Yeah, you about hit one with your car just driving down the road. That's great. It'll fly out in front of you. That's awesome. We'll have to do something like that. So we need to plan a hunt together. I hadn't hunted with you in a long time, man. Shoot, yeah, it's been way too long. Yeah, that'd be. Dude, cute. it was, it was nuts. I mean, where we were, I think we were, we were just late seeing elk, and just before seeing mule deer in their actual rutting stages. We were, it was a late hunt in November is what it was. Um, and the whole area was just thrashed by elk. Every tree was just snapped. Every limb was just rutted up. Shit everywhere. Jeez. It was just, I'm talking prime bull activity in that area. But we were just past it. I think we were a month late from seeing that. And the mule deer, they really have a late rut. I think we were right at the pre-stages of the rut. Because the does were just real casual walking. And the bucks we did see were just super relaxed they were not they weren't horny at all <laughs> but i think uh right there's a lot of mule deer that come through here well i bet man i really bet there are i would love to do like a, a plain style mule deer hunt up there near you guys in those big plain field areas with all the all the agriculture up there and just really spot and stock one that'd be a hell of a time oh yeah there was just this morning when we were feeding probably Oh, man, they'd been a good 200 yards away, but there was just five of them just going out through a, an old cornfield. They'd already been harvested, and they were just moseying out through there, picking around. Big, big freaking deer. I forget Dang how up. big mule deer are. They are. They're a lot bigger than you think. They're way bigger than a whitetail. I say, yeah, growing up around the whitetails, you know, that's what you get used to. Then you get up here, mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a doe back here. She has a fawn with her, and she's a big-ass doe. Like, <laughs> just thick. And her baby's doing really good. Like, he's a thick little dude. Like, he'll be a good buck in four or five years. Since you're living in Nebraska now, I mean, I know you're not technically a resident. Um, right. How does that work for you if you wanted to hunt something up there? Would, would you be an out-of-stater still? Or is there a draw system? Or yeah, do you, have I mean, you looked you at have, any of that? I've never looked at Nebraska, so I don't know. I looked. I didn't see any rules about uh, all that. I did see, like, I have some pamphlets throughout my truck for turkey and just big game. And I know a lot of the tags were cheap for like just deer, antelope, nice. like 40, 50 bucks if you were uh, in state. And then out of state was like two or three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's that's how much we paid for ours in New Mexico. It's just, uh, it's, it's not enough to make it where it's like, man, I, I'm not gonna be able to do that. It's like, that's a cheap amount for you to go have a good time in the woods looking for them if you get one hey awesome if not you're only out like 300 bucks like that's just not enough for yeah. me to say no i can't do that this year you know well since we were talking about hunting um i wanted to ask you you know uh what your most memorable hunt is if you have one one that you just it's always in your head you know every time you think about hunting you think about that one hunt that was that was the funnest hunt or that was like the most memorable hunt i've ever had or just something like that if you had one since we're on the topic oh shoot the I say that's tough i say you know we grew up doing a lot of varmint hunting you know driving mm -hmm. around <laughs> damn right we did possums <laughs> and whatever you know all those nights were great but as far as like a hunting trip you know like as far as we're hey anything we're doing it legit right uh i say i always loved duck hunting and i remember gosh there was one morning me and mason went Shout out to Mason. So we had went out the day before, went scouting, found us a little spot down at uh, down on the lake in a little slough. And we had to get to our spot. We had to drag all of our decoys, all of our gear through all these big-ass freaking, uh, they were like cane, kind of growed up in a low spot. 
brush through all that. <laughs> that stuff is heavy and thin layers. Water had a thin layer of ice on it, not too bad. You still had to kind of like crunch through it with your boots to get out to where it wasn't frozen. We got all the decoys thrown out and cold, cold. Ducks just started coming in left and right as soon as shooting light hit, and we were. Isn't that amazing? I think. Like yeah, gnats. 45 minutes, maybe, we were pretty well limited out. I mean, it was, I mean, just a great hunt. Sun came all out, got a bunch of mallards, had just a good bag of ducks. Boy, it was good. It was a good morning. One of those ones where you're like, yeah, this is, like, this is what, this is what it's about. Man, you don't even realize how, there's so many people that have never experienced that, like, hunting ducks out in the water. It's such a different experience from any other hunt you'll ever have in your entire life. It's just so it's so not original from like any other type of hunting. Usually you're dry and you're walking on land, you're sitting in a tree. This one you're, yeah. you're standing in water. Like this is totally different. It's really, really cold. You have to be tough for that kind of stuff. You can't just go out there and expect to be warm all the time. And you're going to be in an uncomfortable state, but it's still one of the funnest and most rewarding, quickly rewarding hunts too. I mean, you'll shoot one duck and then another one will fly right over. Just like that. It's like this is one of the funnest, most fast paced things you'll ever do. I think more people should do it. Right. I say you don't get those trophies, you know, the big bucks that you get to mount on the wall. But, like you said, it's a quick, you know, it's like an arcade shooting game. I mean, it's like here they come. You know, I could shoot a few times. And what I like about it is you can go in groups and you can kind of like, you know, bullshit with each other in between kind of as the ducks come in. You're not sitting alone in a tree stand like, oh, I can't make a – I can't fart or I'm going to scare all the deer off. You know, you can kind of stay out there and kind of have a morning of it. It's a little more a little more of a group effort. Hey, you can cook in the freaking blind with you. Man, we used to have this awesome little flat-bottom john boat. We had a big stand-up blinds on the sides of it cover you up. Man, we'd be down inside that sucker. That might have been the one you were in, actually, if you were in a boat. Um, but, man, we'd cook some little meals in there and just hunker down. He didn't have any sides on it, but we took – I think it was the same – well, it may not have been the same boat. Probably was. Say it's quite a few years ago now. It probably was, man. That thing we had it for quite yeah. a while. We don't have it anymore, but uh, yeah. that was it. That's awesome, man. That's a good experience. That's a fun hunt. Well, shit. I kind of wanted to really talk about uh, cattle more than anything on this one. Last time it was more of an introduction podcast. We're really trying to get in the meat and potatoes of this thing now. Um, I really wanted to kind of focus this around you this time, man, and just really pick your brain about the cattle industry, the way things are going right now, what you're doing, more of a day to day type thing, what you're doing. There's one question that I kind of like to ask people that I think are successful or people that other people want to hear about, um, and that's, what is your morning routine like? I'm not talking, you know, from wake up to noon. I'm talking like that was first, that first hour when you wake up or first 30 minutes, do you have a routine or something that you kind of do to get your day going to where you're focused, your mind's set? Talk about that. Okay, so. If you have one. I mean, for the most part, I have a routine. You know, I think everybody sort of falls into kind of the few things they have to get done before they before they leave. I'm usually up 30 minutes before I have to be out the door. So, you know, I'm not just a super get up and do a bunch of stuff before I even go to work. It's, you know, I get up and usually go to the restroom and wash my face and kind of get myself perked up then go get my coffee and eat a quick bite and then I'm headed on out, trying to show up to work a little bit early, and we feed first thing before we get any, anything else done, so I start getting the feed truck, fill the feeder, get the hay loaded up, just getting all that, and so right when start time hits, we're ready to go, and we can start making our rounds, and that's pretty well how every day starts. That's a good routine, man. That sounds like you got that kind of down to a science at that point. What kind of coffee do you drink? I get Folgers French Roast. Just like it black. Ooh, well, Folgers, man. <laughs> Same here. I can't stand putting anything in the coffee. I've never been... If anyone knows me out there, you know I'm not a coffee fan. But recently, I've been trying. And I'll tell you, I really do like Black Rifle coffee. I know it's one of those things that looks cool, and a lot of people just buy it because it looks cool. But I tell right. you, the first sip I ever had of that stuff, I was like, you know what? This is better than any coffee I've ever had, and I'm not sponsored by them. They didn't tell me to say that. I actually like it, and I've been drinking the shit out of it. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing when you – Folgers is pretty good, just cheap, basic coffee. 
But when you find one that's really good, and if you have to mm-hmm. pay a little extra for it, and you're like, oh, that's worth it. It's it's amazing. It kind of opens your eyes to like, oh, okay, yeah. so maybe Folgers is a little crappier than what I'm leading on. See, I always grew up, my parents always had Folgers Dark Colombian. And I was like, that's the worst mud I've ever put in my mouth. And they <laughs> act like that's the best stuff they've ever drank. And I, I always thought that was what coffee tastes like. So I was like, I'm not drinking this crap. Right. This is bad. But man, the gunship roast that Black Rifle has... I can't get enough of that stuff. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. But that's a good uh, that's a good routine. I think everyone should have a routine in the mornings. At least something to get their minds straight. Something to put them on tune with the rest of the day. They kind of get something finished early on. Like you said, you feed first. You're like, yeah. you're accomplished after that. You know, At least you did something that you like, I can say I did this one thing that set the rest of the day up. Hell, you forget to feed one day. You're like, I've already failed at the one thing that was part of my well, routine. And then- that has to be done every day. I mean, it cannot go undone. So it's get it knocked out, you know, get everything checked first thing in the morning. So that way you kind of can set up the rest of your day. Because as you're making rounds, I mean, two two weeks ago we were feeding and the electric fencing went out and two of the bulls had gotten together. So we had planned on doing some dirt work around some of the sheds but then we had to change gears and go start fixing fence and figure out what happened thankfully it was just uh the ground wire came undone from the rod that goes down into the dirt that grounds that electric fence some deer ran by and popped it off so we put it back on we were good to go sometimes that can be a bigger deal to some of the people listening if, if they don't understand really why is it a bad deal to have two bulls together okay so you said you had to get them separated. What's why? Why is that? So where I work, we work at a bull stud where it's a semen collection facility. So customers will send us their herd bulls, and we have to keep them separated because they're coming from all different ranches, from all across the country. I mean, we have people come from New Mexico all the way out of North Dakota, bring bulls here, and wow. So that's what the they're all in pens side by side with each other and we have to keep them separated so they don't fight or uh, you know mainly not fighting or getting into each other's hay and feed and i mean there's just a list of things spreading disease i mean if they really get to rubbing on each other i say we take a lot of precautions we test all the bulls when they get here they get vaccinated they get uh we clean them all our facilities get scrubbed down, disinfected. So disease spreading is pretty slim. I mean, I don't think it's happened here. And so it's not a huge worry, but it's still one of those things we have to look out for. What kind of disease would be able to spread? I don't know much about cattle diseases in general. I mean, oh, I, I say I don't know a lot of the technical names for it, but if you even know, I say something like as simple as pink eye. I mean, that can spread pretty quick. If one's kind of kind of has it, but mad cow disease. Yeah, no, <laughs> happen anymore. Um, I mean, there's yeah, that's a test. Trick and Campy, those are two ones that we test for. Like I said, all the major ones that can spread, we test for them, so we know if they have them or not beforehand. Yeah. Before they ever come in contact, we have a, a an entire barn called the receiving barn, and that's where all the bulls get dropped off first, and it's away from all the the rest of the main barn where everything is stored we all where the labs are it's all down there so everything stays quarantined before and then once their tests come back if that they're all clear they get to come up and join the rest of the bulls huh the receiving barn i can think of a few spinoffs for that one. Oh, <laughs> what do you got for me your mind is your imagination um i think in the last time we talked the last time we talked uh you kind of mentioned that you'd worked with a couple of different operations before how many parts or how many ranches have you actually been a part of at this point or all just everything you've done so far how that's led you to this position right now where you are because i feel like where you are right now is not something you just stumble across no, uh as far as full-time positions this would be my fourth ranch to be at but i've done a lot of day work you know, going around helping work cows here and there. So I've seen quite a few operations, mostly, you know, in Oklahoma, around that area. Uh, job I had before this was yeah. in Texas, around Stephenville, and got to see a lot of that country. It's a pretty big uh, ranch I was working for down there. Before that, I was at 
a ranch in Marshall, Oklahoma, which is up by Stillwater. And that's how I kind of, well, I guess before that, while I was in college, I did an internship at a ranch, Krebs Ranch. Did that first summer, my sophomore year. Fast forward to a couple years ago, after college, I get a call from my old boss at that internship saying that he has a friend that's needing a ranch hand and was wondering if I was needing any work. Well, at that point, I was in Midland, Texas, working on the pipeline, and I'd only been there maybe a week. And I said, yep, I want to go ranch. So came back to Oklahoma, went to work for 7451 Cattle Company, and my boss there got me the Texas job, and then the boss there in Texas got me this job back up here in Nebraska at the Bull Stud. A well-traveled man. A little bit. It's kind of all right here in the Bible Belt. Haven't really strayed too far. I mean, hey, that's what the cattle are. Yeah, I say this is the this is where it's happening. Shit, I don't hear. <laughs> I don't hear many uh, cattle ranches in the northwest or maybe the northeast. I'm sure they're there. But uh, I think you're right in the thick of it right here. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised where you find big ag spots. I mean, they're all over. Just looking at a map, you know, all the little dots where all the cities are. Well, all that in between, mm-hmm. all that open land, that's all agriculture. So no matter where you're at. All that flyover state. Say New York, they have a lot of dairies. Florida's all citrus trees. Big cattle down there. We yeah. used to get a lot of cattle out of Florida and Georgia in the line. Not the band, but... You know. <laughs> to what? I said, I said not to get confused with the band. We don't really like them around here. That's funny, dude. What uh, What are some of the main breeds that you guys stud out when it comes to the bulls? Oh, 75% Angus. I mean, a lot of Angus Really? It's here. pretty much all Angus? Oh, yeah. Black Angus. That's what everybody wants. Really? What's the, what's the psychology there? That's the business breed. Say that's uh, really just just good mark marketing on them's really good right now. Uh, they're just they they look good. They have good numbers. They perform well. I say for decades now they've really just been pushing it, pushing the genetics just as far as they can go in the cattle industry. I mean a lot of a lot of breeds are, but I mean just the Angus. People in the Angus industry are just, you know, putting in that time, doing what really needs to be done to really bring a well-rounded, well-rounded animal for anybody to use. I say from the big cattle producers all the way down to the little guy, they know what they're getting. They know they're getting a top-line animal, and that all trickles down. Yeah. It really just improves herds across the board. Like I said, there's people in every breeds industry that are doing that. I mean, Red Angus, there's a good Red Angus operation right here local that are putting out some really good bulls. And we'll see Charlet, we got Gelbys, we uh, had some Wagus come through. They were very interesting. Uh, Even had some bucking bulls. When I first started here, they had two uh, After Party was one of them's name. They were like After Party. He was 17 years old, and they were Old, old, old man. Main bastard. But he got collected here. I guess with the black Angus, I guess the profit margins are just more superior than most others when it comes to like large cattle industry standards. Is that just my opinion or is that something that's actually factual or can you kind of get into where you think the profits margin are going with those types of different breeds? No, I would definitely say that that would be a correct assumption. It's uh, almost a premium with just that, that black hair. They see mm-hmm. black. They know it's got some Angus. Those guys, the feedlot guys, that's what they want because they know they're gonna they're gonna put on the weight. The meat will be there. The pounds will be there, so they can make more money on them. That one unit of animal, you know, there's a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. Well, that can even make sense. I mean, even in the city life here, you go to any of the restaurants and say you get a quality burger. Half the time, hell, I say half time. I've never been anywhere that doesn't have an Angus burger. You know, I mean, that's kind of like the. Right. I don't know if that's psychological or that's just a marketing pitch, but I feel like that's basically the Angus beef have infiltrated their way into the restaurant industry. I mean, I'm not going to some restaurant getting a, a Brahma burger, you know, 
Um, I don't know if it just rolls off the tongue right. better or if there's some psychology involved in that where they just thought Angus was better because I would love to try all the different flavors. and All the different flavors of cows. <laughs> yeah, all the different flavors. Every one of them. <laughs> Need to get me some limousine burger. I say a big, a big selling point on the Angus is in the meat, the marbling, the fat marbling within the meat is just it. That's what makes it tender. That fat's inside, kind of poked into it. So it just really makes it makes a good steak. And then when you ground it up into hamburger meat, that little bit of fat really gets in there. And it just it does it. It helps. That's what you, very much a physical trait that's bringing them into the market. The food market, that is. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes and total then, sense. Yeah, having that black hide, you know, they have the bone structure, they have the meat, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of meat, I was just going to say, uh, a lot of people right now keep talking about, you know, what's up with the uh, beef prices at the market? You know, what's going on with all these prices? Why are they so high? Can't stand that a steak is this high right now. And I've done a lot of research, and I've just been looking around, and there's really not, like one solid place to go this is why you know i didn't know if you could deliberate on that a little bit or want to talk about kind of beef prices right now and just see what's going on in the market and i'm sure it's not just beef i'm sure you know pork's high everything's high right now inflation is a real thing right now um but is there more to it than just you know the word inflation is there something out there driving these beef prices higher um because i've heard a lot of people on the actual production side like yourself out there and saying hey we're getting we're not making much money on our sales like what's going on there right well i mean currently right now just across the board every product seeing some inflation air prices are up on everything everything's on back order but how things have been going in years past i mean for years and years now there's only been just a handful of major packing companies jbs is one of the big ones and they own all the packing facilities so they can set, well, I shouldn't say they set the prices. They could, technically. They're the only ones buying. So these four kind of can all say, hey, this is what we're going to give for the cattle, but this is what we're going to sell it for to the supermarkets, and that's a big markup. Yeah, and a little bit not, of a monopoly right there. Yes, and that's I th- a lot of people are starting to see that you know, this isn't fair. It should be a little more farm to table than so much, you know, we send all the cattle to a big company and then it all rains back down. It should be a lot more of a local setting so that, you know, those areas are getting more of a fair price. There's a lot of cattle in the area. I shouldn't have to pay, you know, $6 a pound for hamburger meat when they're only bringing a dollar something at the stockyards. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was talking about right there. I mean... I, we were literally at the store the other day, and I was looking at some ribeyes, and we weren't going to buy any because we have a full freezer full of beef right now. Um, and I noticed one of the ribeyes on it was a you know full cut, thick, good looking ribeye, seventeen dollars a pound. I was like, damn, that's you know that's up there. But then I noticed just left of it, there was one of those little thin wimpy cut ribeyes, you know, little thin cuts you can get. Oh yeah. And it said it was nineteen dollars a pound. I was like, you're telling me for them to just cut that in half is an extra $2 worth their time? I just didn't understand that right there. I don't know where that is coming from right now. Because, I mean, you take the ground beef and it's, I don't know, $4 a pound, $5 a pound if it's organic. There's just a huge discrepancy in pricing all over the meat board right now, especially with beef. And I just haven't been able to put my finger on it yet. Right. Now, I mean, you'll you'll hear all different takes on it, what's exactly happening, and I think years down the road we'll probably learn a lot more than what we know now and we'll actually see what the problem's been. One thing before I you know, get on a soapbox about anything with the beef price, I always keep in the back of my mind that we sell a whole animal that can walk out on its own, but when you're buying the meat in the market, it's been processed, it's been tested, you know, it's went through a few hands, there's going to be a markup. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it should be quite what we're seeing right now. But I think that's just something you should always kind of keep in mind that, you know, I didn't have to raise this, especially for a, a non-producer going to the grocery store. It's like I didn't have to raise this. I didn't have to worry about going out and feeding. I didn't have to do any of that. I have my steak and I get to go home. But it shouldn't be uh, 
there shouldn't be a $2 difference just in the cuts of the steak. That goes right back to the first thing we were talking about. And that's that's where I'm just kind of like, I don't know what they're doing there. And it really goes back to the first thing we were talking about earlier when we were talking about, you know, some people just yeah. can't fork up the cost to go pay for an outfit to go hunt. It's like, well, they're yeah. really taking that back-breaking work out of it for you. You know, they're finding the deer. Yeah. They're, they're putting a lot of effort into that. So you're going to pay for that. But it's going to pay off at the end of the day. So I would imagine the same thing's going on here. It's not like I can just go, hey, Ethan, you know, yeah. I want a cow from you. And you're like, okay, now what? Like, i got to put all this time and effort in this damn thing. And that's, I mean, that's the most rudimentary way to explain that. But I just wonder if there's also some supply and demand stuff going on. I mean, we just got through COVID, which COVID's over now. Um, I wonder if, you know, demand is through the roof. Everyone's back out doing shit. And supply is like, hey, we're where we've always been. Uh, we didn't really change much, and now everyone's out there doing stuff. I wonder if that's – are you seeing any of that going on? Right. And I know you're not, like, front lines beef sales. I mean, you're in the industry, but you're not, like, right there selling beef at the freaking show every day. You know, or exactly. I couldn't give you any exact um, numbers, but from what I've seen, it seems like we're right in where we've been over the years. You know, it fluctuates. The They keep a tally of how many cattle are in the U.S., and – it fluctuates up and down every year, but I think we're right where we need to be. There's no insane shortage, you know. It's there's cattle everywhere. I mean, just right here in my area, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just hundreds and thousands of cattle all over the place. So any kind of shortage, and then you have other countries that want to import here, uh, exporting to. Uh, there's no reason there should be any kind of high price on on really any food. I mean, we're we're in an age where we throw away so so much, and we can produce so much with so little. We are very wasteful people. In the past, and I just I think food's such a basic necessity mm-hmm. that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a thought of like, oh, I need to go to the grocery store. I better be careful what I get. It should be I should be able to go down there and load a cart full of food up and walk out with a hundred dollars. That's one thing me and my dad kind of he chimed in on about five days into our hunt we took a bunch of water with us we had a couple of five gallon jugs of water just because there's none up there we only went through one of those jugs and to put it more into perspective the jug broke before we got there and leaked about a half a gallon out so we only had about four gallons of water we finished that thing off the last day we only went through four gallons of water the entire seven days we were there granted we did have some water bottles we were drinking throughout the day really but that was for showering that was for cooking that was to refill our water bottles every once in a while. And it was insane how little that we actually used. And we're 100% satisfied the whole time. We didn't need more water. And halfway through, we just thought, my God, you know, yeah. why don't we just live like this? You know, we were just clean. We showered every other day. We were clean up there. It's insane that how uh, we're on a totally different topic here talking about <laughs> lifestyles of lifestyles of the human race here. We're getting psychological here. Um, but just how much people can use and not even realize they're just using consume 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 and just not even think about it um and there was something i was reading the other day kind of back on the beef price there just to talk about that again um i was reading with this inflation that corn and soybean prices have just gone up mm-hmm. all because of the price of fossil fuels going up and i and i there was a correlation there where they were saying you know those are what's feeding the cattle and in turn cattle's going up so it's like all this is derived there's not one thing if i can get it across to anyone that from what i've been reading is there's not one thing that's like well this is why you know this is why prices are high it's all these different little derivatives building on one another causing everything to go up i don't have an answer to say you know this is how we fix that um maybe a different president uh but easy now (laughs) i don't know if you have any input on that one (laughs) we're not getting political let's say the the ag industry and cattle crops all that it's such a a unique industry in that it's living things that we're having to care for and take to maturity before they can ever you know cash in on your crop your your cattle and there's so much that goes into it i mean just like you said fuel prices well you got your Mm -hmm. tractor you got your truck you know uh any other implements that you're using, how big your operation is, you're probably going to have several different pieces of equipment you run every day. That all takes fuel, takes grease, filters, tires, all that, just for your equipment. 
So all those prices, you're all paying out of pocket. And then you got your feed, you got hay, you got upkeep on your barns, then you have your household. I mean, if you're a family man, you got your kids, you know, you got the house to upkeep, all this money, and the only place you're getting any return is from the beef you sell. So when it's coming in at just the lowest possible market price that these buyers can get, and then the packing plants are selling it for the highest price they can get, so they're making all the money, we're taking all the risk and doing all the work. And so as everything goes up, and then the price of cattle goes up, but it doesn't go up. If you take each thing, your diesel prices, grocery prices, all your bills, feed prices, how they all go up, and you put all that together, beef prices should be 10 times higher than what they are to cover all that. Yeah, it is remarkable that they stay where they actually are and not just become the... I, I heard someone say a quote the other day where, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road here, red beef or red meat in general will be a food of the wealthy. It's like, man, I just, I would hate to see that happen because it's such a crucial part of most of our diets. I mean, you can go out there and say, I'm vegan, you know, I'm vegetarian, don't eat that stuff. You're going to have to work so much harder just to sustain yourself. And I don't know, just hearing that quote is just like, golly, you know, what do you, what do you think of that? Just the food of the wealthy, if it does keep climbing and not come back down, where I wonder what that would even do to the industry. Well, see, what scares me about that is not just the food part, but all the other byproducts you get from beef. Leather, you know, are, are leather, oh, say, are leather boots going to be a thing of the wealthy? Yeah. So bones get used, all the fat for, like, makeup, for the hair, the cowhide rugs. I mean... I feel like a lot of people don't realize what actually comes from a, a beef cow after the process I takes place. Blue, I say pudding. I'm going to be going to a whole episode talking about science. Yeah, I say it's a, it's a something to look into. Uh, you can Google a diagram, and it'll show you all the different parts. You know, the hide and the beef, and then the bones and the organs. Like, it, it all gets used. I said, I don't I don't know what they mm-hmm. would throw out. Oh. It all goes somewhere. Yeah. It, if at the very least it goes to dog food mm-hmm. i mean that's with that's with yeah. all animals i mean i say almost every animal that gets processed usually gets split up into three or four different products you know not just food hey you mentioned a minute ago the uh the uh, main packing companies was like tyson you said jbs what are the other ones uh i think cargill's Cargill. one i read something the other day where they uh they said of the of the top four, they own about 85 to 88% of all the packing industry in America. And to me, that's got to be an eye-opener to representatives in your states, congressmen. Like, this is getting very close to a monopoly. And if I'm correct in my studies, monopolies are either frowned upon or illegal in America. Please don't quote me on this or wreck me in the comments, but I'm pretty sure they're illegal. Well, and then at the very least... Uh Price, price setting, I mean, if you're talking to other companies and saying this is what we're going to sell it at and we're going to use this markup and we should mm-hmm. all do it, then that's not right either. Now, where's the competition? Yeah. That's not capitalism. I mean, what do you think? Maybe one day me and you start our own uh, packing company, Bulls and Bulls Packing. Well, if all of our subscribers and listeners could give to our Patreon, we could probably start up a uh, <laughs> packing plant. Yeah, a dollar a month dollar a month you're gonna send us right out there we're gonna fight for your beef prices drop those costs say a dollar a month from a hundred million of you would be just perfect if we could get all 100 million of our subscribers to do that that'd be awesome which we're getting close to that number getting real close (laughs) it is funny you uh, and a million it is funny you bring up starting our own packing plant Uh, some ranchers boy don't quote me but i think montana uh, several of them got together and they're all pulling money to start their own and they have several million dollars I think the last was over 50 million to invest in their own packing plant Ooh. to help you know the local ranchers so hopefully we're seeing uh, a hmm. turn in the tide that'd be great I mean if more of the production side of anything in America that's getting kind of taken advantage of by middlemen and were to kind of create their own process in the downstream chain that would that has to alleviate something 
I did just look up for everyone that was giving me shit. Monopolies in the United States are not illegal, but the Sherman Antitrust Act prevents them from using their power to gain advantages. And by that definition right there, <laughs> I feel like advantages are being gained by these 88% power-hugging packing companies. Hopefully they don't get a hold of this and cancel us. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, hopefully the other 12% aren't right there in the mix and just not getting named, you know? Like, they're part of the problem, too, but they're just not large enough. That's got to be an issue, though. Call your congressman. <laughs> Send your letters to Capitol Hill. They're a public official. Yeah, they're a public official. You can walk your ass right in their office, sit down. They can't stop you. Don't let them tell you, oh, we're busy. You can wait. I say, I don't think farmers and ranchers should have to pay taxes, like, at all. I think that would be a big thing that would help across the board. I say, you get, you can get a tax exemption on ag products, but I'm talking, like, if you're out there raising the corn, raising the beef, you should, like, you don't have to pay sales tax. You don't have to, you don't even have to do your taxes at the end of the year. It's whatever. You know, you don't have to report anything. You just go do your thing. But that's just my humble opinion. My theory is if you're, I don't know what the percentage of farmers and ranchers in America are, of, and of that percentage, the ones that are actually creating large quantities less of food than, to feed America. Less than 2% of Americans feed the rest. I'm pretty sure. Less than two. So let's just say, just to be. It's a very low number. If not to. If you or your company are part of the 2% that actually feeds America, you should not have to pay taxes. And there's no reason these folks shouldn't be richer than the rest of us. Hell, they should be millionaires. They're the ones feeding us. We'd be dead. <laughs> what, am I going to go out there and raise everything I need in, for myself in my fridge? I can't do that. Those people should be wealthy. It's totally reversed. You're exactly right. I mean, they. Sh it boggles my mind that anybody producing food could ever worry about feeding their own family that doesn't i say no one should have to worry about feeding their family period but you know someone who has ten thousand acres of maybe not ten thousand acres but a thousand acres of corn and they're you know wondering if they're going to get everything paid or if they're going to lose their house i say something that's not spoke about very often is the suicide rates in the ag industry because people get strung out on you know, they inherit these farms or they've sunk all their money into, you know, a dream and it's all crashing around them and people just can't handle it. And it is tough. It's a very tough thing. I mean, no yeah. one's saying it's not, but it's you know, one of the big things. It's always comes down to money and that's just something. It shouldn't be a worry. You're right. They probably mm -hmm. should, they should be millionaires if they're really banging out thousands and thousands of acres of cattle or crops. But at the very least, you know, they shouldn't have to worry, I guess what I'm getting at. My big picture. There shouldn't be a worry to them. They should be able to focus on, on what they're doing. And there should be laws and regulations in place to let them not worry. There should be things that we've set up legally that says, hey, you know, if you're part of this community, you're feeding Americans, and you're actually part of it, you shouldn't have to worry. We should have laws and rules in place where you're looked after. Hell, we're giving them... We've spent billions on homeless people, and they don't give a shit. I'll probably get chewed out for that one on here. We're spending all this money on all these homeless people out there trying to give them a place to live. It's like, what? Not to be a, you know, a naysayer on humanity, well, but my God, like, I feel like if you're not contributing to humanity, then why would we spend money on that thing? And of all people to contribute to humanity, I would say the rancher and farmer are at the top of that list. Yeah, and don't, and don't think that there isn't avenues to get help for us. There's emergency loans, you know, crop crop and cattle insurance is a very big thing that saved a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of ways to get to get help, but the help runs out and you know, if you just keep having roll bad luck, that's what it's all a gamble every day. That Clint Black said it best. Yeah. Good run of bad luck. Because it is it's a gamble. Especially with property taxes rising like they have in the past decade. Like, that alone is a major problem to new ranches, as well as those multi-generational ranches as well. It's pretty much like the perfect storm of problems. When the overhead to keep the operation afloat has yeah. gone up, 
and the price of the one item you sell, which in this case cattle, has gone down. I feel like that, along with this inflation on yeah. them getting slaughtered at the packer, <laughs> pardon the pun, um, <laughs> those two things combined, yeah, <laughs> those two things combined, just does not seem favorable at all. And there's got to be things that can be done to alleviate that in the foreseeable future. Because I know COVID happened. That's it's bad that happened, but it's over now. Like we can't keep blaming. COVID's the problem, you know. That's such an easy way out. That's like saying, you know, the unexplainable was an alien. Well, that was a real easy excuse. I mean, shit. Because eventually, it's really not going to be here anymore. And then, then what are they going to put the scapegoat on? That's where I'm worried. This is all going to fall into another scapegoat. It's just going to keep going that way, so the the middleman can just stay high and mighty and uh, not have to worry about anything. That's my little rant. Say there will always be something that's causing something bad to happen. I think we're all used to that by now. We'll always just look for the new thing. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's either ending or we're all learning how to deal with it. So it's time to just, you know, I hate to say get back to normal, but just get things rolling again. Whatever you got to do to get back out there, let's all try and get everything going again so we can all kind of live normally. I think Joe Rogan has a good quote to kind of like piggyback off that one. What does he say? He says, hard times make hard men. Hard men make soft times. Soft times make soft men. And soft men make hard times. And it's this vicious cycle. We're always revolving around that cycle. And I think right now we're around that hard time cycle. So... Judging by the way the cycle works, hopefully, in the near future, a bunch of tough-ass people come out of this and make things real easy for the next couple of decades, if that's how the quote goes. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I've heard that before, and what I see, I think we're at a very, at a pivotal point with technology, and like you said, people, we're going to come out of this. We've survived it. We're ready to go on, bring on the next thing. It's no big deal. And the technology, we're going to see a lot of advancement in all industries across the board, especially in the ag mm -hmm. industry. I say drones have come leaps and bounds. In the next five to ten years, you probably won't drive past a field that doesn't have an automated tractor. There won't be a driver out there. won't be a human being one out there. It'll just be going along, you know, planting a 50-row seed drill just going out across there with just a big pod cruising in front of it so one farmer he won't need as many ranch hands you know someone who used to have to employ 10 or 15 people you know might only need three or four to do a little maintenance here and there so mm -hmm. we are going to see uh, that is a scary concept yeah i hate to say it but unemployment it'll be a big thing and we're gonna have to find we have to find something else for people to do i mean we're at a state where you don't have to work 12, 15 hours a day, seven days a week to get something done. You know, three mm -hmm. or four of you can get together and spend half the time on it and be done and then can go do something because we have the technology to do it. That's where we're at. Yeah, you know? technology can either be a, an amazing thing or a completely detrimental thing, depending on what way you look at it. If you don't look at all the avenues, I mean, you know, what you said there with the little drone tractors, that reminded me of the movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, interstellar yep. yep i don't know if you ever saw that one i mean everything oh, yeah. went automated they didn't need people to do anything um it's one of those things you know just because we can do that should we do that maybe just leave it all the hell alone and just leave it how it is just yep. because we can you know make a little bit better timing on our processes or get a little bit more done look what all you're causing because of that maybe if we just step back and look at the big picture instead of that short-term gain which is what I, I live by, live by the long term. I think so many things can be avoided in that situation just by looking at all the different avenues in the long term. You know, yeah, that would create major uh, unemployment rates from half the farming community just not being able to work anymore. And then what does that do to the actual packing industry? Well, they are probably already automate, automated at that point also. There's no one working there. And then we got double the unemployment. And that's just one small segment of the world. You know, just because they can doesn't mean they should. They don't even have to hire 
as many people just to bring cattle in. They have little, uh, well, not little. They're pretty big. They're like the size of a four-wheeler, but they're remote-controlled. And they just have like a horn mm-hmm. and little arms that flap flags. And a guy can just sit up there <laughs> in a tower and just drive that thing around and push cows. So it's oh my it's God. here. Like, it's knocking on the door. It's like where, Wally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it'll be just like Wally. That little guy just riding around. That's who <laughs> you'll, you know, you'll pull up to uh to the stockyards you know want to unload some cattle and the gate will just swing shut and a little robot will poke its head out of a window and you'll just take the ticket and a bunch of little little c-3po's and r2d2's are gonna unload your ship for you and that'll be it <laughs> and you'll go back home you may, that'll you be may great. not even drive that'll be great you won't even drive the truck to the stockyards anymore it'll just be an automated yeah, semi to deliver to your door yeah, you just say yeah, Jeff Bezos just shows up with his fucking drone, drops all his stuff off, and Amazon runs the world, and that's it. Hook your little Wilson trailer up to your Tesla Cybertruck, and you just click, you know, <laughs> go to town, and they'll take it down to the market. You'll never even have to leave the couch. That's my vision of the future. Hopefully none of that ever happens. That's a scary world to live in. That's a great vision. You should make a movie. In a world with no cows. All robot cows, dude. Oh God! Growing yeah, veggie they're... meat. <laughs> robot. Even the cows are robotic. Hell, don't even need real it's cows. Poop now is ground beef. So. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Ugh. If you could do one thing, if you were president, let me ask you this: If you were president right now, okay, what's the first thing you would do? First thing I would do. For this issue. For this issue. For the inflation of beef prices. Let's say that's the issue. What's the first thing you would do? I would get every major producer of crops and cattle. I'd get them all on an email chain. And I would send them all an email and I'd say, Get your gun, boys. We're seceding from the Union. And we would just make our own country. <laughs> That's a big damn email thread. We wouldn't even change the name. We'd still be the USA, but we'd be the United States of Agriculture. <laughs> God dang, sounds like you thought that one through. I might. That might have been a thought or two in the tractor that I've had. <laughs> I'm glad I uh, asked you that. Ethan B. Oh, yeah. Next president. I, say, I don't know. Seriously, I don't know if there's a one thing to do. Definitely wouldn't make them pay taxes. I know that. There you go. That that'd be the one thing you'd do. You'd say, "Hey, tax exempt across the board." Yep. Least you're gonna it. wake up at six o'clock every morning and go start feeding. You don't have to pay taxes. But I think that'd be a huge draw to the ag industry too. So incentives are everything. If you can incentivize someone to do something to benefit their life, I guarantee they'll do it. Because there's not a young, not a lot of young blood in this game. Not a lot of people starting up fresh. Mm-hmm. It's all, all old money. It's hard. So to that's what I think of, we mentioned that last time. It's hard to get into this industry as it's an individual, no matter yeah. what age. As an individual with having no prior knowledge or help, I feel like it's very difficult to get your foot in the door. And then to just be able to hold up, just be able to do it. I mean, it's a lot easier to go into McDonald's and flip burgers than to have to come out here and go in the snowstorms and fight the winds and the rains it's not the life for everybody but it's a good one i enjoy it someone's got to do it say we got there's a big worker shortage here too you know we're short staffed a lot of the ranches they're all looking for help and we need something because you you'd think it'd be like said there's not well there's not a lot of money so you can't pay people you know super well like if you're making Mm -hmm. You know, good living like you're probably pretty well topped out like there's no it's hard to find there are six figure ranching jobs they're out there but they're not just for anybody you better be damn good at it and you gotta be old no one wants to hire the young guy no matter how good you are <laughs> yeah yeah well here there's a question for you what's one of your uh, what's a next step for EH in the cattle industry a future next step and I'm not talking about like tomorrow. I'm talking about, you know, a big goal. Something you think you could contribute or be a part of or something on your own. Maybe a packing job. Well, you know, it's all, I say always the dream is to have 
have my own ranch and do my own thing and but right now right now I just see these you know my 20s as a time to like I've bounced around you know I've seen how they've done in Texas I've seen how they do it in Nebraska so you know they prepare for the cold up here they prepare for the heat down there so I've seen kind of the extremes of it and it's just learning you know I feel like I've been doing internship after internship you know getting paid to go and learn and get to you know it's almost like kind of like a free almost a free trial you know you can go out and you can kind of play with somebody else's cows for a while before you start doing your own thing kind of see what works what doesn't work it's not really I hate to say that that's not really on you you know you want to do your best and make sure everything's great <laughs> yeah so you kind of see you know someone might say well this is how we're going to do things and you may not agree and you go and do it and it works you're like okay well now I see a different way to do it or you might say I think we should do it this way and it doesn't work and then you're like okay you know I made a mistake I got to own that that's my fault I'll listen to you next time and that's what I've been doing and it's kind of more of a user-friendly atmosphere to learn this way than it is to just go take a big loan out right after high school and buy a big herd of cows and see what the hell happens i've seen i've heard people doing that my my business partner right now his younger brother did exactly what you just said and he's doing fantastic not for everyone though and that's a risk he put a big risk out there and hats off for him for sticking to it and he's doing great would not recommend that to everyone but like you said you know You've seen the, the extreme heats, the extreme colds. I don't know. Maybe there was like a middle ground in there for you somewhere back in uh, the homestead here. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to uh, pretty soon get back and hopefully find a good little piece of land to settle down on and really get something rolling. And I got a guy for you to talk to you about that, that one. Come. We'll talk soon about that. Yeah, we, can talk. we can talk off mic. Let me know. Say the biggest thing right now is just uh, – Keep taking notes and learning all I can while I can. You're talking about the the weather. I say now I've seen right at almost 150 degrees difference in my lifetime. I've seen I've seen negative negative 32 and I've seen 125 degree weather. Wow. That's good math. That's a little over 150 I think but I say it, but that's just that's a crazy difference. Oh, that's insane. Get that's that insane. I've never that that cold was crazy. <laughs> that's blistering. Our fuel tanks here, we have big we have like two hundred and fifty gallon fuel tanks sitting there and the filters on them the casing on it was clear so you could see see the fuel kinda down in there. The diesel froze. So we had to cover it in blankets and run a tube off the exhaust of the truck to thaw it out. Took like an hour of letting that exhaust run on it. Got the tractor filled up. As soon as we took the blankets off, you could just see the frost start creeping over the glass and it just gelled right back up, like just instant. Took 45 minutes to thaw out and five minutes it was frozen solid. Craziest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God, y'all need more blankets. You can spit on a spit on a pipe fence and it would just freeze as soon as it hits a little ice chunk golly how can you be expected to work in that kind of stuff i mean like how productive can you be out there and this the problem is like you don't have a choice like what are they gonna just not eat <laughs> yeah figure it out <laughs> the first big snowstorm was crazy just wind whipping around snow couldn't see but just a few feet in front of you and the snow had drifted up about knee high where we needed to drive to feed. Like I said, they're all in a row, so you just drive down a straight line. I was walking and I fell in the snow. The snow was blowing so fast it started to pile up against me before I could ever even push myself up. And I looked back and all my tracks were gone. It was they were just disappearing right behind me. The snow was just blowing. Oh down my so god. Fast. And I'm not going to lie, I started to panic. I mean, I knew I wasn't far from anything, but it was still just freaking me out that I couldn't see. That's a hairy situation. The ground was just was just changing around me just as fast as I could walk. And that was just, I'd never experienced <sighs> that before. And just cold. I had, I mean, long johns, 
jeans, big thermal socks, muck boots, coveralls, and then a t-shirt, long sleeve button up, hoodie, and a big thick Carhartt jacket all on. And I was still just like, this sucks. Like, I am cold. Shaking like a leaf out there. God dang, you almost seen a rope attached to every single door out there. And you can walk around with a little carabiner strapped to it. Yeah, no, no lie. That's a hazard pay right there. Yeah. Say, hey, boss, uh, this some hazard pay or what? I seen more snow in one day here than I had in my entire life. Because I mean, you know how much, you know how much snow we get. Oh, absolutely, dude. Y'all get packed with that crap sometimes. I mean, last year here was the first time we've ever really had some like real cold weather, and I think everyone in this area knows what I'm talking about for an extended period of time. But yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe some future goals, getting away from that one day and come back here doing your own thing here. I say, hopefully on uh, future episodes we can have some bigger news coming down the line. But for right now, right here in good old Nebraska, about to start another winter right here before Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're getting close. Getting ready for it. That's what I hope everybody out there has got their coats all dug out and washed up, ready for the first big nasty storm coming here in the middle of November maybe December, get something kind of gross. You can come back here for all your weather updates. Bulls and Bullets are going to be all right on top of it, right there with Traps Myers. Say, we'll tell you what the weather was like about two weeks before you, uh, after it happens, when you're listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you can know what the weather was like two or three weeks ago. Or if this is ten years from now, you can know what was going on. Yeah, who the hell knows? <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, hell, man, it's been a great talk today. I think we went over a lot of good stuff. Hopefully people took away some good actual content from this especially on the beef side of things on pricing hopefully we didn't just ramble enough and i did catch myself on that one little fluke there yeah um but i came back to save the day with google yeah. like we said we would i encourage everybody to go out there and look into everything we talked about i mean there's just like i said there's so many sources so many different points of views just go out there and just see what you can find and you know you got to stay informed especially about where your food comes from people you know you're going to starve to death if you don't vote right. That's right. <laughs> that's a good quote. Hell, that's a bumper sticker. That's the first bumper sticker we're going to come out with. Vote right or you yep. won't eat. You're going to starve to death if you don't vote right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's a good quote. Well, heck, man, it's been a good time talking to you this time. Hopefully uh, the next episode comes a lot sooner than the last one. And we'll, have, we'll start having some guests on here. Start getting their opinions on a few I things. Say, I say I got a few people all lined up, so stay tuned, everybody. Well, all right, brother. We will catch you on the next one, everybody. Make sure you keep your gates closed and your powder dry. We'll see you next time on Bulls and Bullets.